0: A car from Houston, California. Welcome to Top Hat STEM Chat! This is our Austin Peay College of STEM podcast, bringing you everything focused on the college, its faculty, staff, and students, and the impact they're having on the world. I am Colby Wilson, and on today's episode... 90 seconds of STEM, and an interview with Dr. Alex King, chair of the Department of Physics, Engineering, and Astronomy. But first, celebrating our wins. This is where we highlight the faculty, staff, and students who recently grabbed a grant, won an award, were placed on a committee, or otherwise were accorded some kind of recognition for their expertise, hard work, and singular genius. Up first, Dr. Katie Haas who was named to the board of directors of the North American Society for Bat Research at their annual meeting in October. The NASBR promotes the study and conservation of bats by facilitated communication and collaboration among scientists, educators and the general public. Congratulations to Dr. Haas. Up next, Dr. Daniel Mayo, who was honored at Austin Peay's final regular season football game of the 2023 season for bettering the lives of Austin Peace student-athletes thanks to his work as an associate professor of mathematics and co-director of the Tennessee Governor School of Computational Physics. Congrats to Dr. Mayo. Dr. Manisha Gupta's lab earned multiple awards at last week's Tennessee Academy of Science meeting, including first prize for Comfort Ogbu's oral presentation in the cell and molecular biology section brett johnson's second prize in the same section and summer jackson's third prize poster presentation in the cell and molecular bio section as well congratulations to all elsewhere at the tas conference in memphis undergraduate jackson lewis took first prize in oral presentation in the math and computer science section while a quintet of govs also presented at the graduate level Finally this week, thanks to everyone who came out to GIS Day last Friday at the Austin P.G.I.S. Center. The center has grown in capability and scope since it arrived on campus in the late 90s, and students and staff love showcasing some of their capabilities to all who came by throughout the day. Dr. Wilson, Daya, and the rest of the staff did an amazing job. Those are just a few of our wins in the last few days and weeks, and if you have more I'm not aware of, send those along to wilsonrc at apsu.edu. We'll take a quick break and be right back with Dr. Alex King, chair of the Department of Physics, Engineering, and Astronomy, right after this.
1: If there's a question bothering your brain that you think you know how to explain, you need a test. Yeah, think up a test. If it's possible to prove it wrong, you're going to want to know before too long. You will need a test. If somebody says they figured it out,
0: and they're leaving
1: any room for doubt, come up with a test. Yeah,
0: you need a test. Our guest today heads up the Austin Department of Physics, Engineering, and Astronomy, a department doing tremendous work for the college and the scientific community. Dr. Alex King, welcome to Top Hat STEM Chat. Thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> so let's start with your background, your educational and professional journey in physics, What inspired you to pursue the career?
1: Um, Well, to be perfectly honest, uh, I didn't intend to initially. Um, uh, My father was a doctor, um, and going through high school, you know, if you wanted to do a science career, you, you know, medicine was like the uh, kind of the obvious choice, and so I was planning to actually go into medicine, and then senior year in high school, I took a physics class from a very influential, um, high school physics teacher and he got me interested in physics. So I went to college thinking I would be a, a, a pre-med physics major and very quickly realized that I didn't really like dissecting things. Uh, and so <laughs> kind of refocused at that point. <laughs> so we, when you make that
0: change in your dad's, a doctor of medicine, yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you feel that uh, you weren't you't going into it?
1: He was actually okay with it. Uh, believe it or not. I mean my parents were very uh, educationally supportive uh, and just whatever uh, I was interested in, they were interested in supporting me in doing that. Um, and so I continued through college as a physics chemistry double major. I actually kept taking chemistry classes uh, and uh, graduated with a, a dual major. Uh, after four years so
0: what brought you to Austin P how did the how did the professional journey lead you here
1: well so uh, after my undergrad uh, I this well it was, it was kind of a, a roundabout uh, trip so uh, this was 1992 and the superconducting Supercollider, which most people probably don't remember anymore uh, was currently being built in, outside of Waxahachie, Texas. I'm from Texas. I went to undergrad in Texas. And I was interested in particle physics uh, coming out of undergrad. And so uh, Southern Methodist University in Dallas had just uh, uh, start, restarted their graduate physics program to support the superconducting supercollider that was being built in Waxahachie. And so I went there uh to at least get a master's degree um at the time my wife was in med school at at, uh southwestern uh, medical in uh, dallas and so um so yeah so i ended up at at smu um unfortunately two years later congress shut down the ssc and (laughs) Uh, that tends to happen and uh, you know, uh, after that, also my wife you know, finished med-, med school and had to relocate through the match, uh, the med school match that goes on. And so we ended up uh, outside Chicago. Um, she had a residency position uh, outside Chicago and I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago, uh, which I chose due to its proximity to Fermilab, essentially. Um, and so uh, we were there for another six years I suppose as uh, while I finished up and she finished her residency and things like that, Uh, and then uh, because she was relatively mobile uh, career-wise, I started looking for faculty positions. And uh, in the spring of 2000, I had the opportunity to uh, interview at a number of places, uh, Austin P. Among them. And uh, at the time, uh, honestly, the the one of the biggest draws to Austin P. Was uh, the building we're sitting in right now, the, the uh, Sunquist Science building, was being built. Um, it was still a shell <laughs> at the time. What it replaced, it's amazing compared to what it what it replaced. Um, uh, although I will say that McCord now, uh, so we were originally in the McCord building. McCord has been gutted and redone and is a beautiful building now. But in the fall of 2000, McCord was not a beautiful building. So... <laughs> so-
0: when you when you're entering that stage of your career where you finally you've you've done education and you've done you know different postgrad work and you're starting to be able to pick a role and you're you're really getting a lot of agency that feels like freedom I guess for the first time in the career what are you looking
1: for? Um, well, uh, so honestly, I specifically was looking for a school uh, about the size of austin p that had a teaching focus uh, because i knew that was something that uh, i was interested in not everybody is certainly Um, but i had had some opportunities as a graduate student to actually be the instructor of record for a few classes um, and found that i enjoyed it more than i expected to Um, honestly Going to grad school, I wasn't sure I was going to like the teaching aspect of uh, having a, a, uh, a teaching assistantship to support myself during grad school, but I actually did. Um, and so, you know, once I got here, uh, you know, having a, a a teaching focus, but also getting to do research, but not having research be the end all, be all. Your job absolutely depends on the grant dollars that you bring in. Uh, was very appealing. Uh, and so that's largely why I ended up choosing Austin P. Honestly. <laughs> At what point did you transition to being the or transition to leading the department rather? So, um, I so I came in in the fall of 2000 uh, and um, largely started going through the usual um, you know tenure process. Uh, after achieving tenure. Uh, and then um, some years later, uh, achieving full professor. That's actually the, the same year that I became chair of the department, so that was 2009. So I'd been here nine years at that point. Um, but it had been a very productive nine years. Um, in that time, we had grown the department uh, basically sevenfold. Um, we had uh, gotten Austin P.'s first two uh, NSF grants in over 10 years. Um, we had also established the governor's school for computational physics at that point and, uh, a number of other things. So <clears throat> if you had to,
0: to pick one, what's the
1: accomplishment
0: during your time as department chair that you're most proud of?
1: Um, well, so, uh, I would, I would say that's a more recent, uh, accomplishment that, that, uh, Thing that the department has achieved, uh, and that's the establishment of our engineering physics program. Um, when I first got to Austin P, we, uh, we were uh, simply a department of physics. Um, the campus has had an engineering technology program for a very long time, but for uh, assorted uh, political reasons within the state, we weren't really able to easily um, start an engineering program. And so, uh, but this is something that the prior chair and I had been talking about literally since I got here. Um, it was a long road. Uh, we didn't establish the engineering physics program until uh, the fall of 2017. So it took 17 years, essentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but we got there, right? Uh, and, and the reason I'm, that's the accomplishment I'm, most proud of is simply because Clarksville needs an engineering program it's needed an engineering program for a very long time there's been some demand from the um, local community and the local uh, industry and as that local industry especially lately has started ramping up uh, that demand for uh, engineers has increased and you know students that Grew up locally that wanted to remain local had to leave town to, for their education if they wanted an engineering degree. Um, so
0: what are some goals for the department that you still have Mo- looking further ahead?
1: Well, uh, so still growing those, uh, all of our programs. Uh, right now, um, we are uh, back to. Uh, enrollments that are roughly akin to pre-COVID. Uh, of course, all of higher education took, took quite a hit during COVID. Um, it's a little harder uh, to track that at Austin P. Interestingly enough, because we are the the only um, four-year institution, uh, state four-year institution that also offers a two-year degree, <laughs> uh, and so uh, being able to figure out which of the uh, declared two-year students are actually intending to go on to a four-year degree in one of our degree programs is a little tricky. Um, but uh, that's, that's the, main, the main goal, is growth of all three of our programs and uh, see what our students can do as they come out
0: of those. <laughs> You mentioned the Governor's School for Computational Physics. In your role as the director, what exactly
1: does that entail? Um, so I'm the director as well as one of the instructors. Um, so the Governor's School for Computational Physics is a summer program that uh, is uh, open to um, high-achieving uh, high school uh, rising sophomores and juniors, the students that will be juniors and seniors uh, the following year. Uh, it's a summer program. Uh, and so um, so what we do uh, as part of that program is teach them all of the, well, not all of, but the necessary mathematics, computer science, and physics uh, to do some basic modeling uh, on a computer of physics problems. Um, the uh, One of the very first things we do in a physics class, intro physics, right, is, is uh, we talk about projectile motion, basically throwing a ball through the air. And the very first thing we do is say, let's ignore air resistance. Because, well, we can't do it with a pencil and paper if we don't ignore air resistance and so that's one of the very first problems that we solve computationally with the, with the governor schools we actually say hey you know what that thing that we always throw out what if we left it in because that's how the real world works <laughs> and can we model air resistance and it turns out yes we can but you do need a computer to do it um and so uh daniel mayo from uh he's a uh, one of the prof- professors in mathematics here uh so uh, Dr. Mayo and I um, are the instructors for the, for the program. Um, Sherry Bagwell, our departmental assistant, is the coordinator, coordinator for the program, and uh, Brian Gaither, our laboratory manager, is in charge of the laboratories for the uh, program. Um, as director, I also uh, coordinate the, uh, uh, the talks, We have outside talks from uh, scientists, some on campus, some off campus, some by Zoom, some in person. Uh, We also uh, visit one or two um, off-site science facilities uh, each summer. Uh, Most often, uh, Oak Ridge National Lab uh, and the Space Science and Technology Center uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. What
0: kind of opportunities are there for these students who come in interested in computational physics but maybe not having much of a background in it?
1: So our department, uh, for all three of our programs many years ago, we added a computational um, class that's required, actually, for the major. Um, And the reason for that is because uh, so much of modern science has a computational aspect to it of some kind, and it and it really doesn't matter what kind of science you're talking about. Biology, chemistry, physics, everything has a computational component to it these days. Um, the example that I, I give most students when, when they're kind of uh, asking about computational things in particular is the juxtaposition between the way we used to build airplanes and the way we build airplanes now. I mean, you know, the nation as a whole. The way we used to build our airplanes back in the 50s is somebody would come up with a design, they would build it, and they would then they would try to convince somebody to get in it and see if it would fly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing our new system is slightly better than that? Yeah, so now we know it'll fly before they put it in the air. The question is how well will it fly, right? So the way we do that is we do computational modeling of the fluid flow over the, the fuselage and the wings of the aircraft. We know it'll stay in the air. That's not really a problem. Um, it's working out details at, at that point. So the design of an aircraft now is vastly different uh, than it used to be. And the uber-dangerous job of being a test pilot is not really as uber-dangerous as it used to be either. <laughs> so, <clears throat> In quantum physics,
0: what... What do you see as being kind of the future in the field? Um,
1: so right now, uh, quantum and particle physics sort of generally uh, really have a lot going on. Probably the the most important thing that's uh, moving forward right now is quantum computing. Um, and so and, and most people, I think, at this point have heard at least a news story about quantum computing and the Uh, maybe occasionally the impending quantum apocalypse when all of a sudden we have quantum computers and they can break every single encryption scheme known to man. (laughs) Um, It's not quite as dire as that, um, although it's not good. Uh, Quantum computers, once we uh, achieve true quantum computing, that uh, they will be formidable. Um, although I should mention that quantum computers, at least currently, are very limited in the sorts of problems that they can effectively attack, um, or solve, I should say. Maybe not attack. Although if you're attack tri- seems rather dire. Well, if you're trying to break encryption, it's more of an attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's really where um, a, a lot of emphasis is. Uh, right now in quantum mechanics sort of generally, although there are many other topics um, at, and m- many other applied topics that most people are uh, not familiar with. Though some people will have heard of uh, entanglement and some of those, those other things as well.
0: Do you see the crossover in different realms of physics to collaborate and tackle complex physics problems as being more or
1: less than it was in the past? Um, more, absolutely more. Um, so, the uh, kind of the forefront of uh, solving engineering problems are so called quote unquote uh, multi physics models. Um, and what that comes down to is that in any um, particular problem, you really do have to incorporate more than just one kind of physics to get the problem right. Uh, And so I'll I'll go back to my aircraft example uh, from a minute ago. Um, Fluid flow turns out to be one of the most difficult um, problems known to man, uh, basically. We are not good at modeling, even with a computer, turbulence. And so um, turbulent flows happen in a river at the edges, They happen in smoke rising from a smokestack. Um, They happen in fluid flow around a car or uh, an aircraft body, right? And understanding the turbulence that comes off the back of the wake is computationally incredibly difficult. As a matter of fact, uh, even computationally, we have to make a bunch of uh, simplifying assumptions to be able to do the calculations. This is one of the reasons that... um, so uh occasionally you'll see a story about uh animated movies oh they got the smoke in this animated movie coming out of this smokestack from this cartoon house to look just right turns out that's really hard to do <laughs> um and so uh so how does that relate to multiphysics? well in the past we've spent a lot of time just trying to get the fluid flow right um and that turns out to be really hard for a complex shape like a wing, because you have to come up with a computer algorithm that can grid the whole thing up into a bunch of little teeny tiny triangles, and then do this calculation at every single intersecting point, and so on and so forth. But what if that aircraft is moving very fast? Well, there's heating, right? I mean, there's uh, there's uh, um, heating processes that happen in the in the wing and and the fuselage uh, due to uh, air friction right Um, well multi-physics is well okay what how do we incorporate that heating that's going to change the density of the fluid as it flows over the wing it's going to do it in a complicated manner how do we deal with that for a more accurate model and so that's that's a nice example of multi-physics but every um, problem has an aspect like that where you have to include electricity and magnetism or thermodynamics or what have you. If you get down to very small objects, then you have to start including quantum mechanical effects and so on.
0: A student comes to you and says, Dr. King, I'm interested in pursuing
1: a career in physics. What advice do you have? Um, well, so uh, usually the conversation that I have with them, so we, uh, because we do have three programs in the department, we have uh, a physics, a straight physics degree. We have Uh, physics with a concentration in astrophysics and then we have uh, the engineering physics degree and the engineering physics degree is actually a separate degree it's a bachelor of science in engineering and so the first thing we do is we usually have a little bit of a discussion about well which way you know which of the three do you think you're interested in for the first year and a half it really doesn't matter because they all kind of start the same way Um, but uh it gives the students a chance to kind of try out, you know, you think you might want to do astrophysics? Well, take an astronomy class also and see if that's interesting. Or take uh, engineering, take the statics class. See if you think that's interesting, uh, where you get a little bit of the design component and those sorts of things. Um, once, you, uh, once you've got that, I mean, the big thing that you get from all of the degrees is Uh, really highly advanced problem-solving skills. And so if you want a job where you are solving technical problems on a regular basis, that's physics, engineering physics, astrophysics. Um, And those people work in all kinds of industries. Most people don't realize it. And a lot of students come to us thinking, well, what can I do with physics besides teach physics? Uh, Most people that have physics degrees don't teach physics, which is unfortunate. We do need good physics teachers. (laughs) But um, most of them uh, are actually out there working in industry. That's the other thing. A lot of people think, well, you get a physics degree to become a physics professor. That's also not the the case. Most people with physics degrees are out there uh, working in industry. Uh, Some of them as staff scientists and, and whatnot, uh, many of them in roles that have engineering in the title, whether they actually have a formal engineering degree, like engineering physics or not. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the main thing, those problem-solving skills, making sure that they uh, cultivate those as they're going through their undergraduate uh, career. Uh, and then we do also talk to students quite a lot as they're going through about, well, okay, how do you sell yourself? How do you write a resume? How do you, uh, how do you conduct yourself at an interview? How do you give a presentation, right, uh, and those sorts of things to make sure they've got those other soft skills that are needed uh, in today's economy.
0: And that's so crucial, and just so many people leave college with all the education and none of the practical skills to sell themselves.
1: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> How important
0: is curiosity and critical thinking when it comes to physics?
1: Oh, incredibly important. Um, the, uh, that's how you find the problems that are interesting to solve in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a – oh, and I'm going to get the attribution completely wrong because I don't remember who said it. Um, but uh, there's a famous quote from a uh, famous physicist back in the 50s. The most interesting um, reaction in physics – is not Eureka, right? Everybody thinks it's oh, I have it. Uh, they actually, the most interesting thing in physics is, oh, that's weird, <laughs> <laughs> because that leads you to a new problem, right? Um. <laughs> that makes sense.
0: Uh, for students and budding physicists looking to get involved in research and publication, where do they start?
1: That's an excellent question. So um, a a lot of students really aren't sure how to do that. And uh, honestly, the easiest way to do it is to talk to people in the department, be willing to talk to the professors. Uh, Every single one of the faculty in our department has an active research program. And so you kind of just have to walk up to them and say, hey, I'm kind of interested in research and I heard you work on this. Could I sit in sometime? <laughs> um, and honestly, that's it's as easy as that. Um, we do try to get our students, virtually all of our students, involved uh, in a research project, um, especially the physics and astrophysics students. Engineering physics students sometimes don't have time for a research project uh, because of the design. Um, uh, sequence in their senior year. Um, And so that almost works like a a research project uh, in that the engineering physics students would be working with an outside um, industrial partner on a specific problem that they're having at their facility that they need a solution for. Uh, And so that's a research project unto itself uh, really because the students have to start from basically ground zero. Uh, figure out exactly what the problem is and then figure out a way to address it. For physics and astrophysics students, um, we try to get everybody involved in research at some point. And that could be paid research, that could be research for credit. Um, If they're an honors student that's actually integral to the honors track through our uh, department, They get some research credit, and then their senior year they uh, essentially write a senior thesis and have to defend it in front of a committee. Um, And so uh, getting students involved in that research track as sophomores at least uh, is pretty important to us. Uh, Not every student wants to do research, and we understand that, but we do try to get almost everybody to do some. Is there ever a time when it's just too early to start research research? Really not. Um, it, it's more a matter of what sort of project the student is interested in doing, right? And so uh, is it, you know, uh, a first semester freshman, they come in and they say, hey, I want to do research in field theory. Well, that's not going to work, right? Because you're going to need a lot of... Uh, you got to have some background to build up to that. A lot of background for that. But um, if, on the other hand, they're interested in getting involved in something in the lab, we can do that right from the get-go, uh, basically. Um, and so, if a student's not, if a student's just interested in doing some research and they're not crazy picky about what they're going to be working on, then it's easy. Um, if they if they're, the more specific they get, the more trickier it gets. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, last few
0: questions are rapid fire. Nothing to do with physics, your job, your life, or anything okay. else. Uh, here we go. Uh, what is your idea of happiness? Whoa. Uh, I gotta be honest, I didn't expect that one to be the one that stumped the
1: physicist. <laughs> well, if, if I'm being honest, uh, these days I spend, I'm a cyclist. I spend a lot of time riding my bike. Being able to ride my bike at any time I wanted to, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> when and where were you happiest? Hmm. Probably here at Austin P before I had any serious responsibilities early in my career here. That was that was pretty cool. <laughs> I had a lot more energy then, too. <laughs> What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Moving across the country for grad school. That was that was reasonable. I mean, I'd, I'm not a risky person by nature, so <laughs> How would you prefer to die? Suddenly? <laughs> <laughs>
0: if you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as and why?
1: Not much of a philosopher. It's not, <laughs> just not my nature. <laughs> I tend to be, uh, or rather my philosophical outlook is, uh, I've always been drawn to stoicism. Stoicism. Uh, I have a tendency to try to look as far into the future as I possibly can, think about all possible outcomes, and just go ahead and decide how I would deal with them ahead of time so that I don't have to make the decision on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try that. <laughs> if you had to
0: put three things in a time capsule to represent your life and our era, what would they be? our era yeah this
1: this moment in time we're living in. iphone that one's pretty easy uh (laughs) (laughs) let's see me um probably i mean the two biggest things about me are my love of physics so probably a physics textbook of some sort probably a quantum mechanics book and some kind of bike part (laughs) (laughs) if you could make one
0: significant change in the world what would it be Well, everybody has to go for
1: world peace, don't
0: they? (laughs) I mean, they don't have to. This this is your choice. You can pick whatever you want. That is a good one. I'm not going to discourage that. At this moment, I think it would have to be world peace. (laughs) (laughs) A good choice. A a worthy choice. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Is there anything that you want listeners to know about, to be aware of when it comes to the department, events coming up? anything, Anything
1: you want people to know about? This is your time to let them know. Well, uh, we do have uh, public outreach nights, uh, especially for our um, uh, astronomy observing. Uh, and so we are still doing those, of course. Uh, and the other thing is uh, I don't want people to be intimidated by uh, physics or engineering or the, any of that stuff. Um, some people uh, feel like you have to be some sort of uber genius to, uh, to be a physicist or an engineer. Really? Really? You have to be out, be willing to work hard. Um, honestly hard work will get you further than uh, raw talent any day of the week. So <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. awesome advice. Uh, really
0: thanks again so much for joining I uh, appreciate it. Thanks. If you want to know if
1: it's
0: the truth, then friend you are going to need proof. Come up with a test. Yeah, you need a test
1: don't believe it because it say it's so if it's not true you have a right to know put it to the test put it to the test yeah test it out put it to the yeah. test put it to the test to
0: thanks the to test dr king for joining us this week before we wrap up it's time for 90 seconds of stem Got some extra money lying around? Goving Tuesday is coming up on November 28th, and the College of STEM has an entry. Dr. Hyder and the company have developed the Smart Cart, a self-propelled motorized shopping cart capable of autonomously following a user into, throughout, and out of a store. All funds raised over the goal will go to the Austin Peay College of Science, Technology, Engineering, and Maths Fund of Excellence. Get out there and support Dr. Hyder and his group today until the 28th. Meish on the Mic is back at Einstein's on December 5th. Dr. Karen Meish, Dean of the College of STEM, is back, and this time she'll be talking to Chris Gentry of Earth and Environmental Sciences. Swing through at 10 a.m. for your morning caffeine and info on EES. Last week, Dr. Meish was in South Korea as part of the Clarksville-Montgomery County Economic Development Council visiting Clarksville-affiliated companies like LG, Hankook, and Dongwa Electrolyte. These visits are designed to foster growth and build rapport between the Clarksville-Montgomery County area and the company's building facilities and generating jobs in the Queen City. The Cybersecurity Club has two speakers coming in on November 30th from New Relic on the Cloud and Infrastructure Security Team to talk about cloud security, architecture, and reviews. It'll be in Maynard at 3.30 for the Cybersecurity Curious on November 30th. And that's it, your 90 seconds of STEM. Thank you for tuning in. Rate and review if you loved what you heard, and drop me a line at at apsu.edu or on the BAD website at cwilson225 if you didn't. We'll try to do this every couple of weeks, and if there's somebody you want to hear from or learn more about, or if you're an alum from the College of STEM and want to get involved, get at me at one of those two places. Thank you all for tuning in this week, and we'll talk to you later.
1: There's antimony arsenic aluminum selenium and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium and nickel neodymium neptunium germanium and iron americium ruthenium uranium europium zirconium lutetium vanadium and lanthanum and osmium and astatine and radium and gold protactinium and indium and gallium
0: and iodine and thorium and thulium and thallium